Amen. Praise God for that this morning. That was wonderful. Thank you, guests, for being here with us to, to sing and lead us this morning. Congregation, if you have a Bible, turn with me, if you will, please, to James chapter 1. Just want to say thank you to all of you folks for your kindness and your generosity to us over the last few uh, weeks, and especially this week. It's been a good week for us over at the seminary, and God has been faithful to us. We've been reminded of that. And I uh, look forward to this day to come back and uh, get into a normal day. So uh, this is good, and I'm glad to be here with you. Again, we're going to be James chapter 1. I'm going to look this morning, verse number 21 through 27. But while you're making your way there, I just want to circle back on what we talked about last week. Again, I want to challenge you, the church, to understand and to realize, not with boasting, not with being puffed up, but to realize that we are a strategic church in this city. It's not because we're particularly awesome in ourselves. It's just because we have a rich history. We have a unique makeup. And there's a lot here in the relationships that we have that we could infiltrate this culture in a major way. But to do that, we have to put our best put, foot forward. And if the city of New Orleans is going to be reached, this church has to be the strongest, best version of herself that she has ever been. And we don't want to wait on the next pastor to get started on that. Amen? Amen. We want to, to use a metaphor. If this is a battle of good and evil manifested in a game of tug of war, then we need every person here to grab the rope and pull, right? So we want to do that. And some of the ways that you can do that right now, just, just a faithful attendance. This is a good crowd here this morning. Thank you for being here with us. God does great works when we gather together. We're going to have a time to fellowship tonight and watch the Super Bowl. I hope that you'll take advantage of that and come out. That's one way that we can participate in those things with our attendance. I want to encourage you to continue inviting people to church. Now's the time to be inviting people to church, not a couple months from now, right now. I hope that you've had an opportunity to do that this week. I've been encouraged this week. I had the opportunity to invite five or six people to church this morning, and I want you to continue doing that. Invite people to come and Invite them to come right now and then continue to prayerfully go before God and ask about your giving financially. How can we put a stronger ministry on the field for the kingdom as a church? That's what we want to be doing. I want to challenge you to give in those ways. All right, James chapter 1, verse number 21. We've been in the last two weeks looking at the nature of trial. And as we've talked about trial, James now turns at the end of chapter 1 and he is going to start talking to us about the Word of God and letting the Word of God infiltrate our lives. And so he says this, verse 21, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks into the perfect law and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but is a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious... Now listen to this. If anyone among you thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue. He deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Father, bless us this day. This passage is admittedly hard-hitting. 
and it doesn't play around. It doesn't Mickey Mouse around. It, it, it's straightforward. It's to the point. It's confrontational about our habits and our patterns and our silly ways of thinking. And so, Father, I pray this day that you would help us just to hear the Word of God. And even as this very passage has described, to not go away from here forgetting what we've heard. And therefore deceiving ourselves. God, help us to listen intently. Help us to realize that what you're doing here in this passage, you're speaking life to us. And so, Father, help us this day to understand it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question here this morning. How seriously do you take the Word of God? Now... I ask that question, and my, my sense is that probably most of us would say, oh, well, I'm quite serious about the Word of God. Indeed, we may be a people that make very bold claims about the Word of God. In fact, I would say to us that we're sort of required by virtue of our faith to make bold claims about the Bible. We're required, I think, to say things, and we probably would affirm things like this, that the Bible is inerrant. That means it has no errors in it. The Bible's infallible, meaning it can't fail in what it seeks to do. We would make these really bold, boisterous affirmations of the Scriptures, and indeed we should, as I'm saying. We will make bold claims about it. We may even get super-duper defensive about it in conversations with people that deny the things that I just said. Right? Someone questions or mocks the Word of God, and we puff up and we bow up, and we, we will defend it. And so there's definitely a sense in which I suspect that most of in this room would indeed make very big claims about the Word of God. And in that sense, we take the Word of God quite seriously. But let me ask a few other questions, just as I want us to ponder this morning about, well, how seriously do we actually take the Word of God? Consider the ways that we show disinterest in the Word of God. Consider the number of things in your life and my life that compete for your attention, that you will run to naturally, quickly, every single time before you'd ever go to the Word of God. And it's those things, whether it's TV shows, talking, looking on Facebook, or doing whatever, maybe it's social media, maybe it's TV, maybe it's vacations, maybe it's some other routine, your exercise routine. I mean, my goodness gracious. And by the way, I just want to be very clear about this. I'm totally preaching to myself here this morning. I am not standing up here today saying, man, look, let me, let me scold you all for not taking the Word of God seriously in the rhythms and habits of your life. Because if I'm scolding anybody this morning, I'm scolding Jamie Dew. Think about the different ways that we actually manifest disinterest. On the one hand, bold claims and affirmations about the Word of God. I mean, we would say to people, think about how strange and bizarre this actually is. We would say to people, God Himself has spoken to us. And then we will run to anything else other than that. Hmm. My bold affirmations all of a sudden don't look that big, do they? Let me ask another question. Now consider not only the various ways we show disinterest in the Word of God, but now also consider the ways in which we forfeit the grace of God in our life because we disobey this Word. So it's one thing to not even peer in and listen. It's one thing to not take seriously the Word of God by saturating our minds and our hearts with it. 
It's another thing to actually listen to the Scriptures, read the Scriptures, hear them exegeted or expounded upon through sermons or Bible stories or what have you. It's one thing to not listen to it. It's another thing when we do listen to it, but then we go back into our lives and we immediately jump back into our normal patterns. And we don't let the Word of God actually address us. We don't let the Word of God shake our rhythms and our patterns loose. I mean, look, i just got to be honest with you. Probably the vast majority of us in this room right now as I speak to us need to have a sledgehammer taken to our normal patterns. And you know it, and I know it. And yet we will hear and then go away and just keep on rolling through the rhythm. So again, we ask the question, I think we have to. Look, I'm not trying to badger, beat up or anything else. I know, look, as I prayed, this is a hard-hitting passage. And I think I'm just being an unfaithful brother if I do anything other than say, look, man, here's what it's saying. How seriously do we take the Word of God? We can make our bold affirmations about it, but then when we show disinterest to it or when we show disobedience to it, I just think all of our bold affirmations melt like plastic in the heat of the sun. And the truth be told... We don't take it very seriously at all. What I want you to wonder about this morning is this question. What kind of grace, what, no, what measure of grace in your life, are, in my life, are we collectively forfeiting by disobedience? That is to say, cutting off the power and the grace of God in our life because we choose to stay into the rhythms that we're comfortable with. And let's be honest with us, with ourselves. That's why we stay in those rhythms, right? We don't want to be shaken up. We don't want to have the sledgehammer taken to our normal ha- habits and rhythms and such because we like them. We're comfortable in them. We know them. To get out of them is quite scary. It's not comfortable. Heaven forbid I might have to give up something. But what kind of grace, what measure of grace do we forfeit for ourselves when we do that, when we do the normal? I want you to see a couple things this morning. First of all, I want you to see this morning, verse number 21 and 22. James instructs us that we must receive and obey the Scriptures. This is not rocket science this morning. There's nothing difficult about this conceptually. In other words, what he tells us to do is super-duper understandable. Practically speaking, this is probably going to be the challenge of our life. This will probably be the hardest thing we've ever done. He instructs us, verse 21 and 22, to, listen, receive the Word. And he makes it very clear to us that receiving the Word is not an intellectual thing only. Listen, in fact, I would say to us, if our, quote, receiving the Word of God is merely an intellectual assent of sorts, that is to say, oh, here's an idea, I believe that. If that's all we do, then you really have missed what he's telling us to do. And not just James, by the way, I would say the entirety of the Old and New Testament. For to hear is to listen and to obey. When when God instructs His people in the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, He uses that language of hear, Shema, hear, O Israel. That word hear is not just listen to me, let the sound go into your head. It's the same hear me or listen to me that a parent, a father, says to his son when he says, boy, you better listen to me, right? It's that kind of idea. 
You listen and you obey. And that's essentially what James tells us to do. He says this, watch this. There's three things I want you to see about the instruction in verse one through two, uh, uh, 21 and 22. In this instruction here of receiving and obeying the Scripture, he breaks it into a couple parts. First of all, he says, quote, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Now look, part of our receiving the Word of God is turning away from our sins. Therefore, we are to lay aside all filthiness. What is that? It's sin. And you know what? We... Our world sort of uh, sanitizes certain sins, doesn't it? Right? You know, I mean, we got the big nasty things over here like, like pornography and prostitution and things like that, maybe even murder and rape and, and, and all of those types of things. And then we got things over here like gossip and slander and division. And you know what? Well, here's how we look at it. Man, that's evil. This is not ideal. I want to tell you something. In the book of Galatians chapter 5, I dare you, go look at it. Paul will put those two categories in the same camp. He will put divisiveness and gossip in the same category with witchcraft. What you have to understand, if your sins are not that of a, of a, of a prostitute, if your sins are not that of a rapist, what you've got to understand is that your gossip and your slander and your divisiveness, your bitterness, time out, pause for a second, your bitterness, I mean, something like that. Man, she did me wrong. He did me wrong. And you want to hang on to it. I'm just telling you right now, there's no life in that. Not for you, not for them. Why would you do that? I, here's what you're really saying. I'm going to carry a boulder anchored to my heart for the rest of my life. I'm going to let it weigh me down and break me down. But, you want to do that, listen, it's in the same category as witchcraft. And it's just as repugnant and repulsive in the sight of God as this other stuff. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. In other words, what he's saying to you is repent. Repent. The Christian, here's what you've got to understand. You can no more be what God made you to be and who God made you to be by hanging on to the normal patterns and customs of sin in our lives than you can build a stable foundation on rotten wood. Think about it. You had rot in your floor, of your, of your bottom floor of your home, and here's what I, I pretty much promise you, you or your carpenter would not do. They wouldn't come in and just put another sheet of plywood over top of it. No, you really want to make it right? You really want to fix it? Here's what you got to do. You got to dig out that layer of rot on the top. And if you get out that top layer that's rotten and you find more rot underneath it, guess what? You got to keep going. Listen, God's redemption is not just a topical sedative we put on things that makes the top and the veneers look nice and lets rot stay inside. No, that's not how it works. Understand this. God wants to penetrate deeply into the core of your being and redeem you from the inside all the way out. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. That's the first thing he tells us to do there, verse 21. And then he says, now this, watch. Now receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So the instruction here is, let me do it generally first. The instruction is here now, receive the word of God. So you repent of your sin and you, re you receive the word of God. But now what does that quote receiving involve and entail? 
Well, once again, I've already sort of alluded to this. Our tendency is to think of receiving the Word of God as a pure intellectual thing. Our tendency is to think of faith as an intellectual assent. Here's the ideas that float across my mind, and I grab onto them intellectually or mentally, and I check them off and say, I affirm that or I don't affirm that. And that's how we tend to treat the truths of the Scripture. Mm -mm. That is not what James has in mind here. Our normal habit and pattern is not what he's telling us to do. He's telling us to receive it, but watch this description, with meekness. Now, we've talked about meekness before, or humility. Some translations here say humility. The idea here is that of submission. Receive it with submission. So it's to let something else from the outside come and take control. And the illustration we often use is the horse, who, though it is powerful, though it is strong, though it is fast and has the ability in itself to bolt and do great things, it does not do so. It lets itself come under the control of a rider and does what it is directed to do. That is what we're told to do. Receive the Word of God. But how? With meekness. That is to say that, listen, my, my believing, my receiving is not just an intellectual assent. It is something that as I receive it, I'm bringing my life into conformity with it. I'm letting it now control me. I receive with meekness. And now watch what he says. You know what it'll do for you? This is not just a, a, a set of ideas that we believe. He says this, you receive this word with meekness it is able to save your souls. Listen, we have just got, I know I say it all the time, it's because I feel like I have to, and I feel like it's on every single page of Scripture. We have just got to rid ourselves of this awful theology that thinks that obedience is about behavior conformity. It's not. Obedience is about living, y'all. It's about well-being. It's about wholeness. It's about completion. It's about abundant life. And he's going to show us this in just a second. This word is able to save our souls. Then it's also clear that he doesn't just have this idea of intellectual assent in view when we go down into verse number 22 because he says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. How much, how much of our churching, how much of our Bible studying, how much of our preaching at the end of the day, boils down to the people of God listening and going and not doing. And how much of our churching and Bible studying and preaching comes down to the people of God hearing the Word of God and going and doing. And I, look, I'm just, I say these things to you, your strategic church. Man, look at the number of people. I know it's not as many people here as it used to be. So what? Look at how many of them of you there are. Can you imagine the torrential force of God that would be unfurled on this city if these people alone just simply heard the Word of God and let it conform them and then live their life as doers of the Word? It would be something like we've cried for for so long. It would be something like the people of old used to preach and see happen. It would be this old, fuddy-duddy, but yet beautiful idea of revival that we so desperately need. 
Hey, church, don't just listen today. Be ye doers of the word. That's what we're instructed to do. That's the first thing I want you to see. Second thing I want you to see, we must also remember the difference between wisdom and folly. In verse number 23 through verse number 25, that's essentially what James shows us here. He goes back to that picture of the one who hears and doesn't do and compares it to the one who hears and does do. Now, just by the way, this is an interesting comparison that is often made throughout the Scriptures. Old and New Testament. This very comparison, those who hear and obey versus those who hear and don't obey, is often put forward in the Scriptures. But let me show it to you here first. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer... So you got in this first scenario someone who hears the message today and then goes about business as usual when they leave today. That's the first person up. And watch what he says here. He's like a man observing his face in the mirror this morning. Just, it doesn't say this morning, but I'm just envisioning all of us in this room today looking in the mirror at some point this morning. If anybody did not look in the mirror this morning, raise your hand. No, they're not going to do that. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? And I say, praise God that I did, because I have a tendency to have reckless bedhead in the morning. And I have to repair it and fix it before I can come and, you know, be out in public. And I bet you did too. And you probably had sleep in your eyes. You probably had wrinkles on your face. And you had all sorts of things going on that were unbecoming of you this morning. And that's why you look in the mirror. Now, James says to us this. The one who hears the word of God and does not do it is like the one who looked in the mirror this morning and then went on, he goes on to say, he observes himself, goes his way, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Could you imagine looking in the mirror this morning, seeing your awful bedhead, and then getting distracted by something else, forgetting what you look like, and then just rolling up into church? People would look at you like, have you lost your mind? What is wrong with you? Woo! Boy, there'd be some stories around the lunch table, wouldn't there? your whole Sunday school class would be talking about you. And rightly so. Why? Because like a moron, you forgot how bad off you look. Well, the one who hears the Word of God and doesn't do anything about it, but just goes on business as usual is like that. Right? Verse 25, But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty... Note that description there. The one who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Is there, is there a law involved in this? Yes and no. Not, no, not in the sense of the same Old Testament type of law. Though J, James is a very Jewish book and he very well has allusions to this. In Christ, there's still, I should just rule, there's still obedience, yes. There's still constraints placed upon me. That is to say, there are certain things I'm not supposed to do because I am a Christ follower. There's still law in that sense, but note how he describes it. It is a law of liberty. Everybody thinks that you're an old fuddy-duddy because you won't do this or you won't do that. Yeah, how's that working out for them? What's the net result for their life? (laughs) And they may have something to mock you with today, but let's talk five years from now. Let's talk 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Let's see whose life, let's see where these two lives go. Right? Whosoever would look into this perfect law of liberty, now watch this, and continue in it. The whole idea there is you stay within it. And you're not a forgetful hearer. You're not like that first knucklehead we talked about a minute ago 
He's a doer of the work. So you got the description? Obedience. Heard the word of God? Obedient. Watch what it says. This one will be blessed in what he does. And let me, let me tell you how I think that blessing works. I don't think it's that God saw you do it. Hey, he's good. Let me give it to him. Hey, God saw you do it. Checkbox. I'm going to gift him with something. No, 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 no. Look, it's this way. God, though, yeah, and let's be very clear about this. What God expects and demands of every single one of us, you included, is perfect and complete obedience. Let's be clear about that. That's the hard part, okay? But understand this. That command of obedience is not the command of a tyrant. A dictator sitting aloof up in heaven with no concern for you. No, 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 no. That command of obedience, this is what I hope, if nothing else I could ever convince you of in my time with you, I hope I convince you of this. That the command of obedience on my life and your life is a command that is rooted in the nature of a God who is perfect in love and wisdom. That is to say, the one who loves you more thoroughly and completely than anyone could ever love you. The one who loves you with a perfect love, he's the one commanding you to obey. So now envision the desire and the well-being that you want and you long for for your own child. Why do you say to your child, don't put your hand on the stove? It is not because you're trying to ruin their fun. It's because you love them. And you know better than they do what hurts and what doesn't hurt. What gives life and what destroys. It is a God of perfect love and perfect wisdom. Surely our God who spoke and brought the universe into existence with a simple word. Surely the God who sees the beginning from the end. Surely the God who knows all things, not just what we have done and will do, but all the other possibilities that we could do if we made different choices too. Surely that God knows better than I do. And you see, the beautiful thing about being a Christian long enough is you just get enough repetitions with God. Eventually, even the dumbest among us can begin to learn some things. Wow, just by proving track record over the years of watching God be faithful again and again and again, even the dullest among us can even start to get it. Wow. He knew better. I knew I thought I wanted this, but if had it actually gone that way, oh my goodness gracious, look how awful my life would be. And I know I didn't want this at all. In fact, it looked repulsive to me, but he was calling me to it, and I just had to gulp and obey. Christian, understand that we do face those moments. I just gulped and obeyed and trusted, and lo and behold, my God knew better than me. Obedience brings life and blessedness because obedience is the pathway of a God of perfect wisdom. And so if you walk in it, you're going to be blessed. Why? Because He knows better than you and me. And so He instructs us here this way. Now, I said this is Old and New Testament, and this theme of those who hear and obey and those who hear and don't obey is all throughout the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus teaches this with the parable of the, of the folks that build on the sand and the rock. Remember this? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Remember that? I'm not going to sing the whole song. It's embarrassing. <laughs> but you can sing it in your mind right now, and remember the point. We teach it in Sunday school to the little people. Hey, I want to teach it to us adults again. Jesus essentially says there's two types of people in this world. 
when it comes to those who have heard the Word of God. There's those who hear the Word of God and disobey it, and they're fools. They're like, he says, the man who heard the Word of God, right? He went out and he built a house on the sand, and it didn't turn out too well. And then there's those who hear the Word of God, and they're like the wise man. Why? Because they're like the one who built their house upon the rock. Here's what I want you to see. For the one who built on the sand and the one who built on the rock, the circumstances that come next are identical. Can we observe that and let that sink in for just a second? The wind came and beat on the house. The rain came down and beat on the house. The waves crashed against it. For both the foolish man and the wise man, their circumstances were identical. Hey, listen, Christian, what Christ has not promised you is a bed of roses. What Christ has promised you is not that things are always going to go easy. In fact, what I think I can predict for you, whether you're a foolish man or a wise man, is, man, we're going to face some tough stuff sometimes. The difference between the wise man and the foolish man is not in the circumstances they face. The difference is the foundation we're built upon. There are fools and there are wise people. What's the difference? Obedience to the Word of God. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room want to think of yourself or be known as a fool? I dare say probably most of us think of ourselves as pretty smart, pretty wise. If you're disobedient to the Word of God, the Scripture says otherwise. We want to be wise, hear the Word of God and obey it. I could go to Psalm chapter 1 and do the same thing. The tree planted by the creek bed and the river, its roots go deep and it's nourished and everything. does. The foolish man, though, is the one who heard the Word of God and scorned it and it doesn't work out well for him. Third thing I want you to see here this morning. Just very quickly... Verse number 26 and 27. Woo. James wants us to know the real, what real obedience involves. Now, here's the deal. We, could, we will do well by ourselves in our own minds. We will say things like this. Well, I'm doing pretty good here, you know. I hear the Word of God and I'm obedient. I come to church all the time. I, I give money. I do all those things. I even go on mission trips, man. You know what James is doing in verse 26 and 27? He's giving us a real test of what obedience to the Word of God actually entails and involves. And i got to say to you, these are two hard tests. Two hard tests that most of us, most of the time, don't pass. Can I just say that? Verse 26, here's test number one. It's your tongue. Hey, husbands, it's your tongue. Hey, wives, it's your tongue. Hey, parent, it's your tongue. Hey, brother or sister, colleague or co-worker, it's your tongue. Where are you going to be tested? Your mouth. Watch this. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his own tongue. Notice what he says here. Two bad things. You deceive your own heart. You've put on the facade, you've put on the charade, you've got the plastic veneers on, and we think we're good. And James says the only person you've actually fooled is yourself. Maybe the problem's not in the way I'm perceived. Maybe the problem is in how I perceive myself. Righteous? 
holy, obedient? How do you use this thing? That's what James wants to know. We talked about this a little bit last week with quick-tempered and things like that. The things we say are destructive. We've been taught from the time we were kids as a coping mechanism. Let's just face it for what it is. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We teach this to our children to try to get them to be able to cope with the brutal nature of our world that we live in where people say horrid things that whether we want them to or not hurt us deeply. What I say to you right now is understand that you have the ability to hurt very deeply with this. He says you deceive your own self and then he says this, your religion's useless. Ouch. My goodness, James. Ouch. It means to say everything I'm saying and doing is kind of make-believe. Verse 27. You want to know what it really looks like, James says? He says this, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. And in short, he says this, pure religion, that is to say, true obedience transforms in our hearts in such a way that we care for the weak. That's unpopular in our day and age. Isn't that strange? There's some people that think, man, if you care for the poor, if you care for the outcast, you're a social justice warrior and you've forsaken the gospel. You're a cultural Marxist. No. This is what I'm instructed to do. Those, those two don't necessarily have to go hand in hand. I mean, James tells us, look, true and undefiled religion, you visit the orphans. What are orphans? Little boys and little girls with no moms and dads. The broken the neglected, the forgotten, the forsaken, the most vulnerable of all. Oh, and here's another. Now, we may get really interested in orphan care, and that's good. Praise God. Watch this next one. Visit the widows in their trouble. It's the elderly, too. Look, it's the bookends, isn't it? The little ones on this side... And the older ones on this side, what are they? They are the weak, they're the vulnerable, they're the ones most in need. In short, what James is saying, you want, you want to really be obedient to the Scriptures? Well, care for them. It should always translate into something like that. And so we have to be obedient. Jesus taught about this in Matthew chapter 25. He's going to separate the folks at the end of the day, the sheep from the goats. He will say to some, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You hear that language? I, I was sick and you came to me. And confused, then the righteous will answer and say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and drink you, and uh, uh, give you drink, not drink you? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When, Lord, were you sick and in prison and we came to you? I don't remember that, Lord. I never saw you in those scenarios. I surely would have done if I had. When, Lord, did I see any of that stuff? And the king will answer them. Assuredly, I say to you, listen to this. Inasmuch as you did it for one of the least of these, 
You did it for me. Wow. The least of these just kind of always seemed to be on his mind. Always seemed to be in his, in his eyes. Always seemed to be in his heart. The least of these. How seriously do we take the word of God? Should we make these bold affirmations of it? Let me be very clear about this. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I suspect the reason the world is not listening to us is because it doesn't look like we mean it. Because this can be just as vile as pagans can. And these don't seem to work any different than lost people's. Father, help us to be obedient. We love you. And we want to love you completely and thoroughly. Pray that God you bless us in our work. Help us to leave this place this day having heard with hearts and minds ready to obey and continue in the perfect law of liberty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.